Welcome to another episode of The Artiste, a podcast series where I delve into the life and craft of an artiste. My name is Luke Gibson. Today's guest needs no introduction, but it'd be really rude if I didn't kind of do some kind of intro. So, funny man, actor, writer, producer, novelist, podcast, success story, and all-round great guy. This man appeared on the show as my first ever guest. Welcome back to the program, Tony Martin. Thanks, Luke. What is going on? I mean, I'm not Orson Welles. I mean, how are we going to fill another one of these? Because um, it was pretty comprehensive the first time round. Well, you, uh, that's what you think, but I'm going to, before we get to that, I'm going to ask you, you've been compared to other people. Do you have other nicknames as well? Obviously, nicknames. people think you're Andrew Denton. Yes. Who, who else is there? Oh, well, there's James Valentine. Yes. There's Lewis Hobber, who's obviously considerably younger than me. Uh, anyone with glasses, really. Godwin Gretsch was a big one about oh, really? t- 10 years ago. <laughs> when we knew who that was. <laughs> that's right. But now it's just cartoon characters. You okay. know, there was Where's Wally, but now there's also the Computers for Dummies Man. Also, you've got a number of other Tony Martins. So I'm mm. constantly receiving tweets uh, intended for the German cyclist Tony Martin. What was the latest one? Uh, congratulations on your record time in the <laughs> FF, whatever that was. <laughs> Apparently I- he's incredibly good on the cycle. Well, I remember you mentioning him last time. How often do you get uh, tweeted as the Tony Martin cyclist? Uh, quite a lot because I have the blue tick, so I think people assume, oh, that must be him. Oh, okay. He obviously does a podcast. When he's not in the Tour de France, he's in his spare uh, time. doing stupid voices <laughs> in a podcast. And he's also um, apparently a farmer in England. That's the big one. If you mention Tony Martin in England, right? there was a guy years ago who was a farmer who shot two people, I I don't want to say anything defamatory, but he he shot someone who broke into his farmhouse and then I think he went to jail. Right. And then he became like a hero in the tabloids and his name became a sort of byword for uh, being allowed to defend your property. Right, okay. It set a precedent of some sort. That's right. So a few years ago I was in England and I'm going through customs and the woman on the customs goes... uh, she goes, Tony Martin. And I hadn't heard of this bloke. She goes, Tony Martin, I hope you're not planning to shoot anyone in your farmhouse. <laughs> and I'm going, that's a very odd thing to say to someone who's arriving in your country. And I'm going, is that like a spy? Am I supposed to then go, the lemons are on the sideboard? Is this, is this like a, a piece of code? And how did you respond? Uh, in confusion, I just went, um, nice to meet you as well. Wow. I've got a nickname for you. Oh. Or not even a nickname. I'm I call you Tony Martin the wonderful distraction. That that's that's what I've come up <laughs> what with. What does that mean? Well, okay, I'm gonna go back. We did up a middle bogan series one and two yes. together. Series two, I was location manager. Yeah. I everyone has a difficult job. I found that job very, very difficult. And yes. one day I'm in the office and you're there and you're, you know, planning your directorial things. And he came over to my desk and an hour and a half later. Oh no. And, <laughs> An oh. hour and a half later, after I've chortled, chuckled, giggled my way through the afternoon. Yeah, haven't got any work done. <laughs> That's very typical with me. I had to say to you, I said, I said, Tony, sorry, I've got I've got to get some work done. I know. I think this is why I wasn't on series three, by the way, because <laughs> it's it's pretty bad when the direct when someone has to come over and tell the director, and uh, we've got to actually uh, film something. So maybe maybe stop talking about uh, some mothers do have <laughs> For a few minutes. Well, I think one of the things that got me going that day was um, basically you told me probably half of the 100 uh, sons and daughters um, clips that you put up with the captions as the challenge that Serena set you. That's right. My girlfriend, what happened was uh, we discovered that all of uh, Sons and Daughters, the uh, 1980s Australian drama, was on YouTube. 970 episodes. and uh, They couldn't get to a 1,000? <laughs> You'd think they would try harder, wouldn't you? Because mm. they had several, uh, you know, Pat the Rat. Didn't she change it? What happened? She was Pat the Rat. She was Rowena Wallace. And then she went off to South America and came back after plastic surgery as Belinda Giblin. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. But then Pat the Rat had an identical twin. As it's, well. a, it's very complicated. Wow. So clearly 970 episodes was just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Serena, my girlfriend, goes, uh, what about the one where uh, Beryl fell down the mine? Yes. Which is a hilarious clip if you've never seen it. And so we we found that and I did a still frame of it and I put it up on Twitter and I had a joke caption and then 
Serena's said, I think we'd had a few drinks and she's gone, why don't you see if you can do a hundred of those? <laughs> like in a hundred days. And I'm going, yeah. Bring it on. And, you've woke and, up you the next mo- and then I've promised that I'm going to do it on Twitter. Oh, and, and then when I've you woken do that. up, I was, oh, fuck me, we've got to actually do this now. And so that was a very long hundred days. Did you enjoy it, the challenge though? Yeah, I did actually because it's pretty um, – I'm not saying what I was doing is funny. The, the show itself is full of hilarious brown sets and yes. crazy stunts and bizarre falling off cliff <laughs> sequences. And so it was it was fun to, to do it. But often I'd be there for five hours going, I've got nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing. Sweating. Putting actual work to one side. But the reason is a long-winded way to say you yeah. were the wonderful distraction then. When you came in and did the first show, you were a wonderful distraction as well because I had four pages uh, written in every every line of those pages, questions to ask you. I got through three questions. Oh, right. <laughs> and, and that's okay because hey, we talked about things that we weren't going to, which is awesome. If this was Ross Noble, yes. you wouldn't have got through one. <laughs> I, I do a podcast called uh, Team Effort and uh, with Ian Cavalier and Ash Williams and we had Ross on. And we never got through the introductions. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, we've got Ross is uh, just here and he's got some uh, DVDs. I certainly have. I've got one for you. And by the time we finished talking about the DVDs, it was like 90 minutes was in the can. Brilliant. And who who needs to follow their notes? Because how often do you follow your notes on radio when you're Uh, doing Nova? Have you got notes with you? What kind of preparation do you do for that? On Nova, I go in with uh, things that – I go in with written material and I never get to it because Sam Pang's (laughs) goal in life is to keep me from doing my material. So he'll just go, hey, hey, look, Tone, I'm wearing a new Burt Reynolds (laughs) T-shirt. And then suddenly we're – we're talking about you three know, hours later. You're talking about the same T-shirt. We're talking about the Cannonball Run. Run me through. You um, recently won some awards um, as part of the podcast awards. Yes, I would like to know how does how do the podcast awards work? I mean, we've got an idea of how the Logie Awards work, the Oscars. A little bit about the Tonys uh, and the Emmys. How do the podcast awards work? Well, they've only been going for three years, and I it's fantastic awards. But uh, you know, the level of celebrity is slightly lower than right. Say, Give me an the example. Logies. Was Bruce Samersand there? No, but Quentin Dempster was. Okay, and okay. maybe the dad from My Dad Wrote a Porno. I don't know. Right. Okay. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's you just send in. Uh, I think you send in two sample episodes. Right. And so with Sizzletown, we actually won last year for – we won Best Comedy for Childproof. Right. And, but there was only six episodes of that. Yes. But with Sizzletown, uh, we won, yeah, Best Comedy again, but also Matt Dow won Best Production, mm. which was well-deserved. And great that it went to a comedy because, yes, you know, it's – Part of our podcast is making it sound like we don't know what we're doing. Right. No one's calling in. The wrong sound effects are coming in. You work hard to get that effect. We work so hard to make it sound piss weak. Like recently we had a fireworks show, like Matt was setting off a fireworks show on the roof. And it was meant to, you know, be mistimed and (laughs) it was meant to be spectacular, but he just had a few, you know, thunder bangers. And he's played it to me and I've gone, it's got to sound even pissier. (laughs) And we spent so long getting that fireworks show to sound absolutely piss weak. So when you make something sound piss weak, it is easy to maybe think that no work's gone into it. You know what I mean? So You've I was done more work than everyone expected you to do for to that make outcome. it sound like we've done very yes. little work. So yes. that was so I was I was actually uh, you know amazed that the judges the judges obviously were pretty smart and they could see how much effort had gone into making it sound like a shambles. Which two episodes did you send in? Uh, we sent in uh, the ones that had spectacular songs at the end. There was one the final show uh, from last year where we we did a sort of Beastie Boys thing. Yes. And there was another one that had a um, uh, a song about the poo jogger. Remember the poo jogger? It was oh, a guy yeah. in Brisbane who yes. was uh, doing his business on someone's uh, nature strip earlier. He the was morning. an accountant by day or something. He had a That's professional right. job, didn't he? And I decided to do uh, an elaborate uh, ELO style tribute <laughs> to him. And so we said in those two, and I remember thinking. Oh, that's right. I remember thinking I hadn't listened back to the rest of the episodes. So I went, oh, yeah, that one and that one because they got songs at the end. And then I listened to them and they both began with 
a huge amount of foul language just by <laughs> just by coincidence. So I thought, and then I had to look at a picture of the judges, and they were a lot of them were very respectable ABC right. types. I've got, oh, we've got no chance. But yeah, they they went with it. So what you, you turn up? Is there a red carpet? Is there a beige carpet? Like how does it uh, compare? What from well, from the start to here's the, the very thing. end? So last year's one was in the Spiegel tent in Collingwood, and it was just a massive piss up, right? And it was hilarious. It was one of the funniest, you know, probably the best award show I've ever been to. But this year was in a fairly formal theatre at the Seymour Centre in Sydney, so it was quite fancy, and there were a lot more awards. But it was. It was election night. Yes. So the whole night was just people looking at their phones. <laughs> and I actually saw a guy who won an award and they've called his name and he's just going, hang on, oh, Barnaby <laughs> Joyce, really? <laughs> and then I remember early on the news came through that Tony Abbott had lost his seat. There was like a Mexican wave <laughs> then, but then – you know, because there's a lot of a lot of your lefty types making podcasts, uh, Luke. So it was, you know, as the night went on, people were getting gloomier and gloomier. Did and you dress- Scobo was laughing. <laughs> did you dress up? Uh, I, I sort of, I don't. Did I? I might have put a nice suit jacket on or something. But, but the, I the shoes like would a, have stayed. That the orthotics. Yeah, I have to wear. You always, no matter where I go, I'm wearing these absurd. Brilliant. I love it. Shoes. I love it. So, okay, you walked away with which two awards? Was it uh, two or more? It was no. It was best comedy and best production. Oh, outstanding production. Not best. There's 25 podcast awards, so there's a lot of categories. So okay. there's like lifestyle and, and uh, you know, in, there's, a, there's an award for inclusion. I'm not right. quite sure how that works. No. But, uh, there's a lot of categories. So if you've got a podcast, I would suggest entering because – You just send it in. Yeah. You have to – there's a fee you have to pay, yep. but then I think that's the case with all awards. And that covers the alcohol for, <laughs> for the event. <laughs> that's right. That allows people to stumble around. And so what 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 happens when you get that award? What kind of speech are, are you and Matt making a speech together as uh, you get the award? I think I I did a speech for for the comedy one and then Matt did a speech for his one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember what I remember about it is that at the start of the evening they had this sort of playoff walk-off music oh, okay. and they said if your speech goes too long we're going to play this right music and then they never used it. And the, it was quite a big stage, so people would win their award and then it was a long sort of <laughs> clacky, you know, like on This Time with I, Mel and Partridge, have you seen that? They do this great joke where he has a massive set yes, and he walks across the set saying, uh, he'll say something like, the inventor of this product, and he'll he'll have a little spill, <laughs> but then he runs out of speaking. Right. And he has to Still walk. Still has to keep walking. He has another 15 very loud, <laughs> clacky footsteps, and that's what this was like all night. And so I've I've got up there and I've done my speech and I've said, uh, now I should just say, I'm not going to leave this stage until they play the walk-off music so that I don't have to walk <laughs> off in silence. And then nothing came in. I think the bloke <laughs> running the music had popped out for a smoke. So it was just the – it was even more awkward and uncomfortable than it would have been if I had just pissed off. Is everyone laughing at you? Uh, <laughs> are, are, are there, you know, uh, are there a lot of comedians there? Um, you Not know? really, because if you think about it, 25 awards, there's only one for comedy. Mm. It's full of mostly, I think. Art? Yeah. The, well, of the 25, I think something like maybe over half went to the ABC. So there's a lot of right. serious crime podcasts and you know, racial matters and mm. science and global warming. And then it's like, here's the guy that did the Poo Jogger song. <laughs> so you feel kind of, um, you know, out of place in a way. <laughs> and so do you get more listeners now that you've got that? Yeah, um, we actually did. I, I wondered. Yeah, well, anyone can look at our numbers. If you go to Podbean, mm. uh, which is where our podcast is housed, you can actually see how many downloads we've had. And what I've discovered is the awards certainly helped. Uh, Every time I go on, have you been paying attention? Mm. Like it's on on a Monday night and then I get up on – like I was on a few weeks ago and I got – and when I went to bed, we weren't even in the top 100. Right. And when I got up, uh, we were at number two. (laughs) Did you plug it that night or just because – Oh, Tom gives it a mention because he's a fan, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm going to go sideways here. Scumbus. (laughs) Scumbus. Now, okay, this is what – see, this is what happens when you come on for the second time. Yes. All the big ones have been done <laughs> and now we're going to do Scumbus. Scumbus is uh, 
a film, one of two films that Ed Cavalier, my friend, made with his own money. I was very impressed because I did warn him I put my own money into a film I made and I said, you do know you will never see this money again. But he was just such a mad, keen filmmaker that, uh, yeah, Scumbus was made in about, I reckon, five days, only working six-hour days because Ed couldn't afford to buy lunch for anyone. <laughs> and I, and he had to do Nova in the morning. Oh, he's as well. making a film. Actually, he, it was directed by, I think, a man called Luke Tierney, but Cavalry was the... He was the brains behind it and it was a script he wrote and it starred him and Toby Truslove and an amazing cast of of friends of Ed's. There was Ryan Shelton and Peter Hellier and Dave Hughes and uh, Lockie Hume was the bad guy. and Of course. And, yeah, it was made in and around the house that Ed was renting out in the streets. I don't think he had any permits. Um I don't, do you need to cut that? I'm oh, probably not. It's <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, and, yeah, and... On a tiny scale, and a lot of it was – it was only go 70 minutes, and I reckon 30 minutes of it is set in a caravan, the scumbus of the title, <laughs> and it was so beautifully lit. It was photographed by a guy called uh, Stefan Duccio, who yes. you've worked with on um, Any Questions for Ben. Correct. Now he's, I think he's off in Hollywood. He is. And he made this cheap film look beautiful. And okay. what I was amazed about was that when you're in that caravan – he somehow made it not claustrophobic. Like he lit bits of it differently and, yeah, I was I was very impressed by what they achieved for zero money. What was the premise of Scumbus? Uh, <laughs> Scumbus was uh, Toby and Ed were two cops. It actually has a very similar beginning to the film I made called Bad Eggs, but it, it's completely different. Uh, yeah, it's two cops who... who uh, can we swear on this podcast? Of course. You, you, you can beep them. Who fuck up <laughs> and end up having to work in the scum bus, which is a uh, a sort of a, a bus in a dodgy part of town, which is ruled over by Lockie Hume yes. with a carving knife. And, yeah, they get involved in a, in a crime plot. Uh, it, it's, it's not really plot-driven. It's just an excuse for a lot of really stupid jokes. And L- Luke McGregor is in it, okay. who just won a Logie yes. for Best Actor mm. or Most Popular Actor the other night. And I think it was the first thing he'd ever appeared in. And I always say Ed kind of discovered Luke, which is probably not true, but mm. I, the first time I ever heard of Luke was when Ed brought him in to do uh, the Summer Lovin' podcast <laughs> that we did back in 2009. And then Ed uh, used him in Scumbus, which was filmed, by the way, several years before it came out. Right. So possibly Luke was more well-known when it came out. But certainly no one in that film had seen Luke before. And he is only in a couple of scenes, and he absolutely steals the movie, I think. And Define Coming Out, because I remember you mentioning define it. Define Coming Out? Define uh, Coming Out. When did it come out? Did it uh, come out at the cinema? No. Was it oh, just yeah, a no, Channel 10 no. late night thing? He sold it to Channel 10, who yes. played it about 10 times at always at uh, like half past 11 on a Sunday night. Fantastic. So it's a film that a lot of drunks and stoners love. Right, okay. And I think You know what? I think it's on YouTube now. Is you it? might be able to watch it just for free on YouTube. But, yeah, he Ed made it for, I shouldn't say how much, but a, a tiny amount of money. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, he sold it to Channel 10. Well done. And this this comes back to people need to get art out of themselves. Yes. Y- you know, True. this is obviously Ed's first foray into film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he could have picked a, a wide variety of things, but he wrote these things which became this film, but it became his passion. And I've kind of noticed in the last year or two that, you know, people get bagged for whatever they do, painting, Absolutely. something, doing a sculpture, having a radio show, a podcast. You can't do anything right, yet... Sometimes, in a lot of ways, people have spent years grinding away at this project that they're so passionate about and it has to happen. How do they keep on persisting with that, knowing what the outcome may be and, you know, the critics up against them, etc.? Well, you've just got to be right into what you're doing and that is what I don't think Ed was doing that to get good reviews or – I mean, it's a really – it's got a lot of filthy jokes in it. It's got the kind of humour that we like, lowbrow humour. That was never going to get, like, you know, four stars from David and Margaret. (laughs) And Ed – 
for all of the, you know, he's made two films. He's probably written ten. He's always working on ideas for TV shows. I made a TV pilot with him a few years ago, and he just loves doing that. Now, he's got his hands full at the moment with Breakfast Radio in Sydney, mm. so he's not making a film at present. But, yeah, he was just making those films because that's what he's into. He's just mad for it. I mean, we, the podcast we've been talking about, Sizzletown, we're not doing that, certainly not doing that for good reviews or or money. Oh, we, we have a sponsor this mm. year, but the whole first Tell, us, tell me about the sponsor. <laughs> well, it's Allegiance Wines. What do they do at, at Allegiance Wines? <laughs> they make fantastic wines and uh, the, the man Tim Cox who runs the place he was just a fan of Sizzletown and wanted to get involved and and didn't just wasn't content to just sponsor the podcast decided to make a wine based around a character on the podcast brilliant and crazily decided to go with Dave Clacton, who's the most offensive character <laughs> on Sizzletown, who's is. a sort of uh, a, a runs a dodgy, politically incorrect comedy venue in Rosanna yes. called The Busted Nut at a pub called The Severed Arms. And <laughs> uh, Tim decided to create this wine, this cab sav, called The Severed Arms, you know, 2018, uh, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. And we've gone, oh, that's hilarious. And I wrote a little message from Dave Clacton on the label. And we just thought, that's just a great, you know, it's not just an anonymous product. Mm. It's tied to the show. And then <laughs> this wine turns out to be really good and has now won three gold medals at, like, your fancy wine festivals. You could not have scripted that. Could not. And we were, I'm going, I don't care if it's good or bad. I just, it's just a funny idea. It's just a yep. good-looking bottle. And now, oh, it's actually, like, a really highfalutin wine. And you've got a sponsor. He approached you and said, yeah. let's just th- get on board. I think so. That's Matt's department. But, uh, I mean, I know Matt, you know, spent a bit of time trying mm. to find a sponsor. But, yeah. yeah, I think Tim did approach us. And he's just right into the show. And it's if, if you've heard the bits at the beginning, I mean... They're fancy. It's They're fancy, but they're also... I don't think you would get that stuff approved from an ad agency. Oh, no. I'm going to be, you know, sliding down a flying fox into a swimming pool full of trifle <laughs> while being attacked by birds. <laughs> Never. Uh, while we talk about a, uh, a, a Cabernet Sauvignon. That's not <laughs> going to survive a meeting with an advertising agency. But those bits, they're only meant to go 30 seconds. We, the production is so elaborate that they actually go for two minutes. So, you know, it's a, it's a really great uh, uh, collaboration. And each time you see your sponsor... Or you're in touch with the sponsor. What what's he saying to you? He's just right into it. He understands the humour. I don't have to explain it to yes. him. I don't have to go to a meeting. Go just trust us. It'll be you know and use a lot of nonsense jargon. Mm. I can just say yeah, we're going to be firing me out of a cannon this week, <laughs> and he goes great. Just gives it the thumbs up. Incredible. In the first episode, I asked you a really difficult question. Oh, you asked me about what is comedy. That was the big question. And you came back to give me a great answer halfway through. I'm going to ask you perhaps, I don't know if it's more difficult. It might be in that territory. What is tragedy? No, we'll get to that in the next one. How do you structure a joke? Oh, well, I don't. I don't think of it scientifically although there obviously are formulas for for jokes i because and i don't know that i write many conventional jokes but i i just try and think of a stupid idea and then think of a surprising way to do it i i i I don't come at it with any kind of formula just words and combinations of words and ideas pop into my head and and i go what's a way to do that that maybe hasn't been done before because now everyone is a comedian if you get on twitter a lot of the best jokes are not even done by comedians. They're, mm. It's members members of the public are barging in and getting yes. into the act. So a lot of joke forms are being thrashed to death. So now you just want to be, as, you know, you've got to, I go down as many surprising and weird tangents as I can to try and keep things unexpected. And then I, I guess supposedly because you find something funny, you assume others will find it well, funny. Well, you hope so, but you... I mean, I don't know. See, here's the other thing. I can't remember what I said in the first episode. So like someone's <laughs> granddad, you're going to have to say, you've already said this in uh, episode one. But, uh, you know, I, I I assume in the first one I talked about stand-up where you, you know, you go out and do... You talked about the ratio. Yeah, the ratio. Yeah, yeah. And that ratio never seems to change no matter mm. how old I get. So Isn't that, that never changes, yeah. And the ratio was about, uh, to start off with, you were kind of saying two in ten... 
uh, yeah. jokes might work. That's about right. And it got up to about four, which yeah. you said was good for That's you. A good, that is a really good run for me. It is, isn't it? Now, the Lokis was on recently. Yes. You got an invite back. Who gets in co- <laughs> as the voiceover guy? Yeah, well, that was, uh, in fact, uh, the producer of the Logies, Brent Williams, is a big fan of Sizzletown. And right. And that's why... That's why he asked me to do it last year, and I did everything uh, possible to get sacked, and uh, somehow they got, <laughs> they had me back. Despite what I love is the the first year when I got home, the Daily Mail, Serena's got the laptop open, and mm. it says "funny man in hot water for encouraging drug use." That's right. And it was a joke about pingers, you know, and the, <laughs> and the hot water was three tweets, one right. of which I think was my brother in New Zealand. <laughs> And then, but this year I get back and we open the Daily Mail and it says, funny man in hot water for mentioning hot dogs. For hot dogs? Oh, because, you know, hot dogs from Big Brother. Yes, yes. I think I said something like, you know, the Hall of Fame, will this finally be the year for hot dogs? And apparently that's, <laughs> was like, why is he doing that? What's he mentioning that for? How oh. how weird. How was your experience this year on the Logies compared to last year? Oh, it's I find it incredibly nerve-wracking because I don't get any sleep the week leading up to it because it's a you know, if I cock up my own stand-up act or an episode of Sizzletown, I'm the only victim. Mm. But the Logies is like this a thousand people work on it and a lot of people who would have no idea who I am or any interest in what I'm doing are watching and you know, so people who know who I am are kind of into it or, you know, into some of it. But there's a lot of people who are just, who's that Who's that guy making those stupid comments about hot dogs <laughs> and willing and able and, <laughs> you know, ruining the Logies for everyone? But uh, I just look at it, you know, if you watch the Logies with your friends, what do you do? Do you sit there reverently going, oh, what a wonderful dress Kerry Ann Kennelly's wearing? Sometimes. No, you- <laughs> sure. <laughs> But you take the piss, don't you? Oh, Even that's if what it's, it's all people about. you love, you're taking the piss. So I'm just saying, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do about four things at once because I have actual voiceover duties and information mm, to get out. Mm. I've got to try and think of facts, weird facts, like the fact that Ron Idles had investigated um, 64 more murders than Jessica Fletcher in his <laughs> series. You know, stupid things like that. And then I'm just thinking of stupid jokes to say but also trying not to ruin the evening. And then I'm also trying to comment on things that are going on. Like there was a boy band on who had flash pots and for the next 10 minutes the whole screen was just full of smoke. So I think while someone was walking up, I just threw in, somebody open a window. You know, you're just saying (laughs) you're trying to react to things that are actually happening on screen. So it's quite – and the other thing about it is with the popular winners – we don't know who the winner is right. until about a minute before it's announced. And they so, give you an envelope themselves. No, I hear the booth, it. Or? Someone in my voice okay. just goes, oh, it's gone to Costa. And so <laughs> I'm sitting there with six or seven different scripts right. going, which one of these am I going to say? Yes. And often someone will win and I'll go, oh, that wasn't the funny one. <laughs> you know, and I have to throw, you know, a lot of jokes away. Because do your jokes get vetted? No, at they don't. All? No, they, they don't know what you're going to say. Basically, Brent really he just trusts that I'm not going to crash his car. Basically, right. and occasionally he'll say, "Oh, just play it straight on this one." Because and, and what I like about it is because some of the announcements are straight. I reckon that helps the comedy because it makes me sound more like a real voiceover Official. person who's who's occasionally saying stupid things. And, and by the way, I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying when I say work, I'm, I'm saying it, it works for some people. It yes. doesn't work for everybody, let's be honest. So what are your limitations? What does he say? Like, obviously, oh, uh, they don't want me to swear, yes. but I don't, I don't feel the urge to. Uh, <laughs> well, occasionally you might. During that boy band, I think I, I felt the urge to swear. Um, and there was, I mean, the one I've told this a few times, but the worst thing that happened in the first year was I was doing this running joke where I was saying who'd won later awards. So Hamish and Andy came out and I had to say, and they're up for best comedy later in the evening. And I added, although I know for a fact it's gone to McAuliffe, <laughs> which I knew wasn't true. So right, that, that okay. hasn't ruined it because, no, no. you know, it's um, it's just a joke. But then at the very end of the evening when Samuel Johnson's coming out to announce the gold, 
Here's what I was going to say. I was going to say, and now here to announce the winner of the Gold Logie as Grant Denyer, it's Samuel Johnson. <laughs> and I didn't know that Grant Denyer was the winner. Oh, and so you did or you I was didn't just, say that? I was six seconds away and then Brent in the earpiece goes, mate, just play this one straight because, of course, Samuel Johnson you yes. know, has had an emotional mm. year with his sister mm. and let's not, you know, take the piss. Yeah. So I just did a serious... Right, so you've throw. got to be thinking on the fly pretty quickly there too. But imagine if I had. Oh, and it's Grant's big year, and then I've said that. Yes, I'd, I'd have to move back to New Zealand. <laughs> that would have been like La La Land at the Oscars. <laughs> yes, it would have been a disaster. It would have been so. You were seconds away from seconds basically from disaster, having no career. Yeah, and also, you know what? You sh- no one wants to hear a stupid joke at that end of the night. Yeah, okay. You know, let's just get on with it. Like mm. this year, I just so wanted to say. It's another bloody Kiwi. It's Rebecca Gubney. You know, I just so wanted to say that, but no one wants to hear it by then. Yeah, okay. So it's you've got too to play late it. in the yeah, evening. You've got to play it straight for the last one. Now, you've got two podcasts that have been highly successful. In the back of your mind, have you invented or are you working on some other podcast? Uh, I don't know. It's just I, I know some of the some of the techniques we're using in Sizzletown I'm I'd love to do more of with Matt. Like occasionally we do a you know how I'm basically talking to myself as callers. Yes. But we also do little scenes like where I talk to the the man who runs Podworks yes. or some cops come in. Yeah. And I thought, oh, what if you do I'm kinda interested in doing a whole Show like that where I play like a sitcom, but where I play all the characters, and right? I was have thinking, a proper storyline. That'll be the next thing to do. But would that be a spin-off, or would that I be its own know. individual? Because I'm thinking that there's so many opportunities. Like you know, Dion, like <laughs> he could have his own spin-off. There's so many opportunities well, for cat, all these characters. The one the people, cat, yep. the, yeah, people are madly into the cat. My, if you haven't heard Sizzletown, we use a translation device to hear what my cat's saying, and he's mostly defaming birds and. My most of the time, you you have walked around the house yeah. um, as the cat oh, in yeah. that voice, um, basically saying those things. Anyway. Oh yeah, we just that's just a that's running, your real life. We're cat lovers, and we will often see the cat out on the you know out in the yard and go, "What's he thinking?" and just imagine what he's thinking. Yep. And and we do that voice, and I we've been doing that voice for about four years, and he's we, he's kind of um, jealous. He's like. Yeah, they're really dumb. Like he's quite sort of <laughs> passive aggressive. I might have to call the RSPCA. You know, if the cans aren't stocked. And he's always, you know, when the cans get low in the cupboard, yes. it's like, this is very concerning. <laughs> uh, we just do that stuff around the house. And then we've got about eight episodes into Sizzletown. We already had a thing where I would go next caller and it would just be a cat going meow. And I go, how's he getting a number? <laughs> and then I just thought, what if we. If I did that voice, what if we? What if I got Matt to make a translation yeah, engine and right. then, and then I remember thinking this is too. Even after we did the first one, I thought this is too insane. No mm. one's going to go with this. And now, of course, it's the most popular thing. Incredible. Now people are saying, "You why don't you do a whole series with just with the cat?" And so, is that something that you would seriously? Oh, consider? I think it would be too much. Okay. I think if people heard half an hour of, of this, I think it would be. <laughs> I think it wouldn't suddenly wouldn't be as funny. I think it's funny in four minute blocks every month. Do you think Childproof has another life as a second series? Uh, we had planned uh, a second series, and we had a whole lot of ideas for a second series. But you know that, and I do get people saying, "Why don't you do the second series?" And I go, "Well." Do you want to give us a hundred grand? Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> you know it's going to take a year mm. to write, and 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 people sort of go, oh, well, what if you filmed it? And you're going, well, but we didn't film the first no. one. It's that would be too weird. Mm. But we did have. I love the idea of because we did the shock ending of now they've got a child. Yes, and. And that's what I love about that is it's the most cornball ending of all. You know <laughs> where the ending of the series is. I'm pregnant, but yes. we went. But this is the one time where it actually makes sense. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not gratuitous because it's the last thing you would think yes. would happen to this couple. And we, well, I think we had some because it was they were having a, a oh, sorry. It's been so long since we did it. Mm. They were having a surrogate child for a, a famous footballer, right? A sort of Sam Newmanish character. Yes. And so I think I think we had an idea that. That character was it Barry? Someone 
was going to move in with them. Right. But what I loved was beginning the second series with, you know when you're driving down the street and someone's got a, what do you call it here? A push chair? Do you call that? What do you call that? A thing? wheelchair. A wheelchair. Wheelchair or a pram? Are you, talking, a, a, you know, like the little one that's a chair stroller. on wheel. A stroller. Yeah, it's called a push yeah. chair where I'm from. Okay. But you know how it'll just come out between two cars in front of you? Yes. They're pushing the kid out in front. How yeah. many times do you nearly <laughs> clean up a baby? And I just thought a great montage would just be about a minute of that. Right. Of okay. just them nearly. The, Getting kid nearly, you know, cars nearly hitting their child. But you've left the door open that you could have a second series, but yeah. who who throws money at a podcast other than Nobody. the newspaper? No. Who and throws also, money? Well, and also we spent, I mean, we spent a couple of years planning those six episodes yes. just sort of in our spare time. And then we spent 10 full-time months writing it. Now, we're mm. not going to do that again for just a podcast no. for free. No. We did talk about just doing a one-off, mm. you know, spe- like a one-hour special, maybe yes. doing an episode seven. But even yeah. that would take a couple of months or three months to write. And, you know, we have to do actual work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as and, well and as... Sizzletown is taking up a lot of my time at the moment. Well, I thought as well as that, you, you have to do the same thing that you did, which was in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, and we'd have to get like that. comedy we'd festival. need all the, the cast. And we had an yeah. incredible cast. Mm. It was amazing that they were all available yeah. on those nights. And put your own money in it, which sure. you, you had to do before, which Correct. was very difficult. What is your process creatively with Sizzletown. Do you know, because you are going to end up with 40 episodes in the can by the end of this year, Yeah, right? and then we'll see, you know. What I, happens I don't, after you know, that. Matt has children, so yes. I don't know what whether he's going to be able to continue. And we've set quite a high standard production-wise, yes. so we can't go backwards from that. But how far in advance are you planning what you're oh, doing? Not very far at all. It's what I, I've talked about this metaphor before. It's a Wallace and Gromit. You right. know, on the wrong trousers when they're on the train and he's laying down the bits of track just yes. before they get to it? That's what Sizzletown is like. But it's you're like, Three episodes ahead, aren't you? Yeah, Yeah. we're always working ahead because Matt has a holiday in the middle of the year, the selfish man. (laughs) So, you know, we've got to have some – you'll notice on Sizzletown I say this a lot. Well, it's been six weeks since the election. (laughs) And, in fact, it was like yesterday. Yes. And also I don't want to – you know, I have to allow for the fact I might get a cold. And if you get a cold – although I did think it would be funny if all the callers also had had a cold cold all at the same time. But that's going to be – you know, you can only do that once. Yeah, that's right. In a future episode, we might look forward to that. Yeah, so I did get um, bronchitis this year and we had to stop for about three weeks and it was like, thank God we had, you know, two or three eps in the in can. In the can, yeah, yeah. yeah. But are you – because uh, a lot of the time your Sizzletown episodes are uh, self-contained episodes. However, there are character arcs happening. Oh, but it's all – there is no long-term plan. Right. I wish I could tell you where Dion's road trip is going. I wish I could tell you who's been blowing up videotapes at Podworks, but we really are just making it up as we go along. Really? Yes. And, you know, you had um, obviously Pete Smith doing his yeah, um, part in the show. Of course show. we did. Um, you know, do you have a plan already for him? I what, have what a, he's yeah, we have a few with? ideas, but the problem is that if you can think of ideas, but the ones that happen randomly are often the best. The best. Right. So some... Just something will happen and you'll go, hang on, let's go down that path instead of the one we were planning to. And then so what do you – do you say to Matt, hey, what do you think of this? Or are you just – are you the creative genius oh, and he's the production genius? How, well, where do your paths intersect? You know how that works is I will do something and he will make it sound so much more amazing than it sounded in my head. Yeah. And that will give me an idea of, oh, we could go down there. Right. Like all that stuff with the lift shaft blowing yes. up. I just – I can't remember what we did, but – oh, there was one where we were out in the back alley and there was a, yeah. a dolphin exchange going yes. on. But he just puts in great little details like, you know, when that – there was one recently where I, there was a forest and a tree fell over and then just a flock of birds. Yes. Just in the left channel, he just had a flock of birds flying Brilliant. off. And I went – oh, the birds sound great. So then I've now got the birds attacking me on the flying fox. So his ideas 
generate ideas for me. So right, often, okay. yeah, he'll do something with a sound and I'll go, oh, yeah, we've got to do more of that. So you don't sit down at a production meeting and go, No, there's no uh, meetings. Matt, uh, no. episode 23, um, this is what I'm thinking about doing. There's, okay, so you just come up with the things and just go, he, here's um, pretty much what I'm thinking. Yeah. He adds his bit, you get other ideas from that, and it's just back yeah. and forth. and he's also, Matt's not a fake laugher. I can tell what he likes. And if right. he laughs at something, that'll make me go, oh, I've got to, I want to hear that again. So right. I love making Matt laugh. So, you know, he what he enjoys... I tend to do more of if possible. All right. Well, have you, to finish this conversation off in this part of Sizzletown, have you thought what will happen in episode 40, the final episode? Has that crossed your mind? The only thing is that people love the song so much at the end of last year that we're going to have to do another one of those. And it took you how long to do that? (laughs) It took about three weeks. It took three weeks, yeah. (laughs) And he kept remixing it. I remember because it goes up at midnight. Yes. On Thursday night, and I think it was eleven fifteen on Wednesday night, and he goes, "I've I've remixed it again." <laughs> you know, really? he's never happy. Yeah. But you want a perfectionist on board, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely, of course. Now, Boytown. Oh, and, here we go. And Boytown Confidential. Oh yeah, <laughs> bang! We're straight into we're it. We're straight into it. So you are. I didn't even put it in the intro. We might have to do another intro now. You're a documentary man as well, and yeah. you made Boytown Confidential. Tell me about wow. Boytown that then became your project of Boytown Confidential. Look at me having a nervous drink. <laughs> Jeez, how do I start this? God. Uh, well, that was – you know what? I only remembered recently that Boytown the movie was my fault. When you say fault, it happened because of you? Here's what happened. We did the Mick Malloy show back in 1999, which I was never even supposed to be on. Uh, I was going to just be a guest in the first episode and then a couple of cast members quit the week of the first show. And so Mick said, do you want to just be in more episodes? So I ended up doing that. And as you know, it was not received well, the Meek Malloy show. <laughs> yes. But I always thought, you know, there was actually a lot of good stuff in there. Okay. And so I said to Mick, I would love to edit a best of the Mick Malloy show for DVD. And he was like, mate, don't go there. Just Let's just <laughs> move on. And I said, no, no, we've got to keep – just let me have a go at doing a rough cut of – get the eight because it was – Eight two-hour episodes. Yes. I said, I would love to cut a one-hour 50 best of, of just the good stuff. And I already had the, the cover art designed. Like Really? The cover art was going to be a black DVD with the blue couch that was the logo yes. for the Mick Malloy show on fire <laughs> with smoke <laughs> billowing off the edge of the cover. And then a single quote, which was a real quote, a televisual shit heap, <laughs> HQ magazine, which was a real <laughs> review we got. So I spent several weekends just cutting together what I thought was the best of the Mick Malloy show. And finally, I have to go around to his house and play it to him. And he's like, oh, don't make me sit through this tea, Martin. <laughs> oh, don't. Are we really? Oh, okay. Because he hadn't watched any of it back. And he'd been had the shit kicked out of him by... Uh, the Herald Sun yes. didn't particularly want to go back there. So we put on the tape and, of course, it was really slickly done and it was, you know, there was a lot of good stuff in there. Edited by your own hand. Yeah. And so we're about 10 minutes in and he's like, I remember him, he had a, he's holding a cushion over his face oh. looking from behind a cushion and then he's put the cushion and he's going, it's actually quite good. <laughs> it's actually some good stuff in there. And what happened was at that time, that's right, there was an incident, a naval hazing incident. Do you remember this? There was yes. this horrible footage of blokes on a ship and someone had a funnel and was forcing oil up their ass. Remember that? It was this oh. revolting... On the international date line or something. So, yeah, I think that was the headline. Yes. Uh, no pun intended. And so uh, they did a scene in an episode of the Mick Malloy show where Glenn Robbins was a guest and Mick said, um, "We're gonna." I, Glenn comes out. And Mick goes, what did you do on the weekend, Glenn? And he said something and Mick goes, that's that's not what you did. I went round to your house <laughs> with a secret camera crew and let's roll the footage now. Yes. And it was a Mick in Glenn's, you know, front garden with a camera and we look through the window and there's uh, Glenn doing a reenactment of the nude hazing oh, ritual. Oh, my. 
and that's funny. And then Glenn goes, yeah, well, what did you do on the weekend? And Mick goes, well, I don't know. And he goes, well, I saw this on the show last week, and he plays a joke of that was in the previous episode of Mick slagging off human nature. Right. And then Mick goes, yeah, well, I don't, I'm not a fan of them. And he goes, really? Well, let's look at this footage. And it's footage of that Glenn's taken of Mick in his lounge room and the all the walls are just covered in pictures of human nature <laughs> and Mick's miming along karaoke style to a human nature song. So that was the bit. And then at the end of the interview when they went to the ads, there was a little 30-second breaker of Mick and Glenn as human nature doing a human nature song. That's where it started. And and Mick looks at that and he goes, when did we film that? And he had no memory of filming it. And I go, well, that was that was in the show. And he goes, that's pretty funny. And at that time, he, he and Richard Malloy were writing a completely different film that was going to be a, a follow-up to Cracker Jack. Right. And I remember about a week later, he calls me up late at night and he goes, that footage of me and Glenn is the boy band. That's pretty funny. Do you reckon that could be a movie? And I'm going, well... Yeah, I, I just think you're too old. And he's going, oh, well, we could use makeup. I'm going, oh, no, nah, you're going to look too old. And then about a week later, he calls me up and he goes, I've got it. What if we used to be a boy band? Yeah, okay. And we're getting back together. And so that's how it started. Right. So wow. that was it was all my – if I hadn't have put in all that work on the the best of the Mick Malloy show, a completely different film would have been made. All of the trouble with me and Mick would never have happened. <laughs> And then, Who knows? And we might well be dead, of course. Well, there's that too. So as a consequence yes. of that happening, you as you take another nervous sip of <laughs> water, um, as a consequence, what involvement did you have beyond that? Well, what was – and it's a very convoluted story, but if you've seen the film, it's about five uh, guys who used to be in a boy band and then they have a manager played by Lockie Hume. Yes. And I was going to – Originally, I was going to play the manager, and I have to say, I would not have done it as well as Lockie Hume mm. did it. But I was going to do that, and then, do you, you know, the complicated business of getting overseas money. We can get some overseas money if we have an overseas actor, and so that's right. right that's right. I remember being called to a Vietnamese restaurant in uh, in Victoria Street in <laughs> Richmond by the Malloy brothers, and they sit me down, and Mick goes, "We've." We've we've got an opportunity if we can get a, an overseas actor in that role, we uh, will be able to get you know a certain amount of money. Right now, they didn't end up getting that actor because I think there was something like they already had Sally Phillips playing. Okay, playing Glenn Rob. Is this too boring? No, this is uh, very interesting. <laughs> they had Sally Phillips playing Glenn Robbins's wife, and I think Equity said you can only have one. Right. So I think you know who was going to play it. Omid Jalili, the Iranian UK actor, was going to play the manager. Really? And so, and I wasn't that invested in playing the manager, but I think Mick and Richard thought, "Oh, Tony's going to be really upset that he's lost the role." You didn't care. I didn't care. And they said, "Don't worry, we've got something out. We've got another project for you." And they said, "We want you to play this filmmaker." in the movie who's making a documentary about Boytown and we'd love you to actually make that documentary for real. As well. Okay. As well. Yep, and we'll yep. put that on the on the DVD as a right. bonus. And it'll be – an and, and by the way, they said that's only if you can do it because they wanted it to be improvised and it was yes. a very short shoot, Boytown. It was only made in five weeks. Wow. And so they said chances are you're not going to be able to get the cast because they're going to be in – they're going to be quite busy. Mm. But if you can film stuff in between, improvised, you know, Christopher Guest style, yes, maybe it'll be 10 minutes, maybe it'll be 90 minutes, mm. or maybe it'll be – I remember them saying maybe it'll be like a Kath and Kim style eight-episode sitcom. Right. So those were the goalposts. It was like it could be 10 minutes, it could be four hours. But that, it's whatever you decided what, it to be. What Whatever – because it's improvised, so mm. it might not work. Yeah. So that was the goal, was how much can you do? So I <laughs> I was playing this character called Kenny Larkin. Yes. Which was uh, the character Russell Crowe played in Neighbours. Right. Although it turned out there was, a D, there was a famous DJ from New York also called Kenny Larkin. Really? Not to be confused with Kenny Loggins. No. Who did Footloose. You wouldn't want to make that mistake. No. And so I had this wig on and I just stayed in character for the whole shoot. 
Right. And the point of that was that after about a week, the cast started to see me as Kenny Larkin. Right. And so our interactions would be – it was interesting because I find with impro – what happens is if you sit someone down, a comedian, and you interview them in character, for the first 10 or 20 minutes, they're just trying to be funny. Right, They've maybe okay. prepared some gags. And then after after about 20 minutes, they run out of material and it gets really bad. It gets really right, flat. Okay. And then you break through that because they've been in character for so long and suddenly everything they say starts to become interesting because they are that person. Okay. So I did a lot of interviews and with the – the cast in character. Like I would sit Bob Franklin down and talk to him for two hours as his character. And we ended up with 44 hours worth of footage. No way. And it took a few months, quite a few months, to cut it down to what eventually it was 90 minutes long. Okay. And, yeah, and then there was some trouble and, yeah, it's, it was all in the part. You can Google it. It was on the front <laughs> of the Herald Sun. That me and Mick were on the front of the Herald Sun facing each other with not just a dagger but a tear in the, <laughs> in the, in the page. And I think the headline was Best of Enemies or something. Oh, it, was, it was really quite ugly. But so, I, uh, yeah, people can look up what happened. But mm. needless to say, there was, there was some... There was some trouble. <laughs> but in summary, you say Boytown was your fault. Uh, Boytown, yeah, was my fault. And Boytown Confidential, which has never been seen and I don't think can be seen because I, you know, think I don't own the rights to it, so I can't upload mm. it to YouTube, mm. despite everyone I know suggesting that yes. I should. Uh, but I, my contract allows me to have a copy for uh, portfolio use. <laughs> So if I'm going for a job, I can show it to someone. So if you're if you apply for a you know a job at KPMG or something, you can take that along as part of your portfolio. Yeah. So it's amazing how many job interviews I've been over <laughs> to, over the years, and it's got me a because Ross Noble has seen it and he was a huge fan of it, and that's right one of the reasons I ended up working on his TV series. Wow, because so, of that. Yeah, but it was also I, you know, and it was very bitter for many years, mm. but it, it I. The whole process was fascinating. Was I learned so much about improvisation, and there were just moments in it. I remember where, the best moments were where genuine interaction was happening in those characters. Like I remember there was a bit where Bob Franklin was talking about. I was saying, "Who were your influences?" And he goes, uh, oh, "Probably my biggest influence was Shawadi Wadi." <laughs> And Shawadi Wadi, I don't know if you remember, were a band of guys in zoot suits. Right. And there was about, nine, I think it was nine members. and But I had seen two of them on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. So for, so in my mind, I thought they were a duo. Right. So he's going, yeah, Shawadi Wadi. And I go, right, there was, there was, there was, they were just two. There was a duo, wasn't it? He goes, uh, no, no, I think it was about 17 members. <laughs> And I've gone, oh, really? And didn't they do the song Girl? And for some reason I thought, this is genuine, I mm. thought they'd done a song called Girl. Right. And he goes, and Bob, who <laughs> knows about Shawadi Wadi, goes, uh, no, but there were so many members, obviously some down one end could be working on projects that the others weren't even aware of. So that's a joke that has come out of a genuine misunderstanding. Right. And when you watch that clip, there's no acting. At okay. all, and yet an actual joke <laughs> has eventuated. Wow. And so that was, to me, really exciting. And that's the kind of nonsense that I'm using on Sizzletown. Like if you hear recently Conrad, character I do, and I, he's having a delivery. Yes. And, and something's being delivered and he has to be home. And I say, what's in there? And I, for some reason I just came out with Meryl Robes. He's having some Meryl Robes. I'm going, why are you the mayor? He's going, no, I'm not the mayor. I just, why should mayors have all the fun? And so you're all, I'm always trying to get that. It's what you said earlier about how hard is it to write jokes. Well, no one would write the Meryl Robes joke. Okay. No one would write the Shawadi Wadi <laughs> down the other end joke. So – that Boytown experience has really has made me addicted to improvisation. And but of course, what I discovered is you have to film forty four hours to get ninety minutes mm. because that ninety minutes is the only funny ninety minutes in the in the forty four right, hours. Okay, there's a very and it's the same on Sizzletown. I'll talk for 
for 20 minutes waffling on, hoping that I'm going to get four, Some gold. four minutes of gold. Yeah. Is it difficult or was it difficult to stay in character for you during that time? Not really account? because Kenny Larkin was a, a radio, an FM DJ who was obsessed with the 80s. So I can talk That's that you. shit all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can talk about Your Catch and Goo Goo and Swing Out Sister and Stephen Tintin Duffy till the cows come home. So it was, it was very easy for me to, to stay in character. Yeah. Now you have a side project. You have many side projects, but you I want you to talk me through the Damien Cow disco machine. Uh, How did wow. that all come about? And I'll be in trouble if I don't ask this. My, my friend Marty Hopkins. Right. Um, you know, when he knew that I was interviewing you, mentioned the first time. And we, we touched on that that side project. I want to hear more about it. He wants to know more about it. Uh, Everyone wants to know more about it. What's your involvement and how were you approached to dance as part of their <laughs> Well, it's their a very routine. long story because I uh, I was introduced to Tism yes. uh, by Santo Chilaro back in the mid-'80s. He was a huge fan of them from the very earliest days. Now, for our listeners that don't know anything about Tism, um, they were, your poor thing, explain They were an me. Australian band who were active from about maybe 82 till about 2004. They did many, many albums, many, many EPs. They were... Anonymous, they wore balaclavas and did incredible stage shows and had several hits. Yes. I'm on the drug that killed River Phoenix. Perhaps Correct. you're aware of that, one. of that fra- yes. uh, phrase. Uh, Defecate on my face was their first big hit. Remember that one. It doesn't yes. come up on Smooth FM very often. Not but, very often. Uh, but it is a classic. And, yeah, they, yeah, they're a classic Australian band as far as I'm concerned mm. and very underrated because they – Spent a long time taking the piss out of music journalists, and music journalists felt the need to, you know, fight back uh, in kind. And so, I don't think they ever got a good review. And yet, the albums are fantastic. They Do hold we know up. their true identities now? Uh, yeah, I think it. I don't think they could go now in the. You know, people genuinely had no idea who mm. they were for most of their existence. But now, you, I think it's on the Wikipedia page, right? And Damien has made. You know, he's finally admitted that he was Humphrey Flaubert. <laughs> That's no longer a secret. But, um, yeah, w- so we were big fans of them and we actually used to bizarrely play songs of theirs on our breakfast show on Eon FM. Really? And we played, I think, the first ever interview that they did for commercial radio. We didn't conduct it, but it was on late at night, I think, on Kent Forbes' show and we played it in the morning on breakfast, and that led to people thinking, oh, maybe the degeneration are in tism. But oh. I think we actually um, started a rumour that Billy Pinnell was their saxophone player. Right. I remember seeing Billy only about 10 years ago, and gosh, people still ask me on the street if I'm in tism. <laughs> and, but anyway, and then me and Mick had tism on Mark Malloy a couple of times. We had Ron and Humphrey, and I think uh, Ron and someone else came in twice on the show, completely done up in giant inflatable archbishop costumes. I had no idea who they were. And then about five years after that, I'm in at Triple M doing something and a very sort of mild-mannered guy, Damien, comes up to me and he goes, um, oh, g'day, introduces himself and he goes, uh, I was actually on Mark Malloy. And I'm going, who are you? And he goes, <laughs> I was one of Tism. I go, really? He goes, and I go, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I work in the copy department at Triple M. Really? And he explained to me how he was just working at his desk and he calls a cab, goes down to the back alley, him and Ron put the full gear on, get in the cab, go round the front of the building, <laughs> get out, go up, do the show, and then reverse the whole process. And... Yeah, so they and then I remember Damien got me to record a because I used to do a very dodgy John Howard impression. You remember John Howard, Prime Minister for a while? Yeah, and he got me to do a really foul mouth rant as John Howard, and they used to play that at the beginning of Tism shows, right? And so that was the first time I met Damien, and then when I went back to Triple M to do Get This, he was now I was because Martin Malloy was on Fox. Mm. Uh, Get this was on Triple M, so I was now working in the next office to him. Wow! And we were both at a similar stage of our careers because I was doing, you know, the first thing I hadn't done with Mick Malloy. Yes, really. Uh, get this, and he was in the process. You know, Tism, who have never officially broken up, but they mm. haven't done a show since two thousand and four. <laughs> he was in the process of getting a new band up called Root, and yes. he had, I think, the four. Uh, 
oh, I can't remember who, but someone in the industry, let's just say, okay. was telling him, don't do it, you'll make a fool of yourself and people just want more tism. And so we were both, we, we formed this kind of mutual society of encouraging each other to, to, to persist. Follow your dreams. Exactly. And so, yeah, we've been friends ever since. And then in 2015, he started a new band called Damien Cowell's Disco Machine. He, in between Root, he had the DC3. Right. He's got an incredible catalogue of mm. albums. And uh, on the first Disco Machine album, he decided he was going to have a guest on every single track. Right. And so they had the album launch at the beginning of 2015, and everyone who was on the album was at that launch. I, right. I think except the bedroom philosopher who was unwell. <laughs> and uh, and it was an amazing night at the corner. It was Tim Rogers and Kate Miller-Heike and Sean McAuliffe and Sam Pang and... Uh, who else? John Safran, all these people, Liz Stringer, me in a giant cat costume because my song was called Don't Hector the Safety Cat. Of course. And and it just, the night went so well. And then Damien calls me up and he goes, well, that was great and now we're going on tour but all those people are not going to go on tour. How would you feel about going on tour, doing your song and doing all the other songs by the people who can't sing? <laughs> Well, not can't sing, but who don't sing, like Sean and John Safran okay. were all kind of almost spoken word pieces. Right, okay, yeah. So I ended up going on tour with them, just doing three or four songs, and then before you know it, three or four songs became six or seven songs, and now it's five years later and I'm basically in the band, although I have no musical skill. <laughs> so I'm like, I always say I'm like uh, Bez in... Um, the Happy Mondays. <laughs> a lot you... of stupid dancing. And, and and Damien just, he very sort of subtly lures me more and more in. Like he, like on the second album, I'm on suddenly on two songs. Right, okay. And then on the third album that's hopefully coming out next year, I think I'm on like seven songs at right. this point. He just keeps just giving me a little bit more to do. And so did you proactively seek his help for the Sizzletown opening yeah, song? Well, yeah, so, since... Um, I technically joined the disco machine. We've done heaps of stuff. I mean, he's in childproof doing mm. a bit of acting. I thought, well, if yeah. he's going to drag me into a band, I'll drag him into comedy Good. acting. And we did a radio show on Triple R for a while called Arseless Chaps. <laughs> and yeah, we, and so I, I mean, I just love working with, I mean, he's a fantastic guy. I mean, everyone, he's, everyone loves him. You mm. know what I mean? He's one of the most, for someone who spent 22 years, just abusing the entire music industry. Yes. He's a much-loved figure, and people queue up to be on those albums. Last time we talked about potentially you going out and doing some some stand-up. <laughs> yes. What's going on with that? Has <laughs> well, that progressed I, at all? I, or? I, I have only done one show this year, which I did as a favour for for Greg Fleet, who was uh, starting up a comedy night in St Kilda. As How do we get you to do more? <laughs> well, I just I need to do some more work. I need to write some more. But I was exp I hadn't done stand up for five months, and I thought this is going to suck, and it went great. And I went right. And I'm not saying it went great because I'm a genius. It went great because. I hadn't done that material for so long. So do you think you were fresher? Yeah. It was like, oh, it was like I was rediscovering my own wow. material uh, as I was doing it. And I, so it got me fired up about it. So beyond getting to 40 episodes on Sizzletown, yes. like, it's almost like now you've had your fun, Tony, with I these, with these to, podcasts. got to get back to yeah, work. You need to start paying some bills yeah, and just contributing that's, that to the household. That is true. What are you going to do when that all finishes? Well, I want to do, yeah, I will get back onto the live stuff because, yeah, that just that one uh, show I did for Fleety just got me. You know, again. The, I'm not, I shouldn't be using a heroin metaphor <laughs> with regards to Greg Fleet. He might hear this. Uh, but it is. It is kind of addictive. You mm. do get a shot of that audience reaction and go, oh, I've got to get back to this. And, you know, I've just been working with Tom Gleeson on – well, working in the same room as Tom Gleeson on the Logies. And he he must do. He's one of those guys like Dave O'Neill or Will Anderson who does, you know, 200 gigs a year. Mm. And it's – I just go, I'd love to be that match mm. fit. But then they don't have as many um, bows attached to them, do they, as you? 
Well, they're not dancing in the Damien Cow disco machine. No, I love doing that. I'm sure I, you I'm do. Getting to, I'm almost too. I, I always think I'm too old to be doing it, and then I see what Damien because Damien's a couple of years older than me, and he's not just dancing and singing properly. He's also setting off things on the you know screen behind us. Right. Uh, PowerPoint he, presentations. He's got quite a lot of musical work to be doing as well. Yeah, he's doing, right. You know that thing where you pat your stomach and yes. rub your head. <laughs> he's doing like that two of those at once. So whenever I'm exhausted, I just look over and go, well, look what that guy's doing. <laughs> he's someone to aim towards. <laughs> That's right. He is. He's a role model. So it's almost like uh, when this kind of comes to an end in Sizzle 10, you're starting again. You're starting the next phase of your life. Yeah. Is there a book parked in the back of your head? Oh, I don't know. I I really see what you're saying implies that there is some – there's a chart on the wall of what – you know, I'm moving little Lego figures around. And I'm well, I talked ma- to you about my whiteboard. You don't have one of <laughs> you those? You love a whiteboard, yeah. don't you? Uh, no. I just – yeah, I just blunder along. I do. And that's that's worked so far. Yeah. You can't re- – any time you plan something, you suddenly find yourself in the voiceover booth at the Logies. I have no – I have no idea how I get from one thing to the next. It's the Tarzan. I've mentioned. Have I mentioned this before? Tarzan. Yes. Are you swinging? What's, yep. Is there going to be? A, oh, there is another one for me to grab onto. And that's lasted, you know, thirty plus years Certainly, of, your, yes, of your life. It has. Thank you for coming back. You're the only recurring cast member. Well, uh, thank you. As such, appreciate you coming on the show. I'm like Newman. That's... You are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Without the postal bag. That's right. Um, so thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Luke. I love doing this. I mean, yeah. Podcasts are the future of the world, aren't they? They certainly are. Something has to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we'll get you back again. Oh, my God. There's nothing. There's the tank. The You know, when you're hitting the sauce bottle, yep. surely we're at that point now. Well, I'm just going to rustle this because this is this is real. This isn't a prop. I got through oh, uh, no. about two-thirds of a page. Just say one thing that's on that All right, leftovers. I'm, I'm going to say that. Um, Eat Your Peas oh, album. Pff, okay. Yeah, that's well, that something is, we never got to. The, yeah, so. there'll be a classic mm. albums episode of that. Mouse Patrol. God, that's a whole topic. You know, so uh, we didn't get to every, everything. Um, there's still a lot left. Okay. So the tomato sauce bottle, is. there's a still a lot of liquid right. in there. We'll see. But thank you again, and we'll be back for another episode, a very different episode of The Artiste, next time. The Artiste is an original podcast series devised and hosted by me, Luke Gibson. It's produced by myself and Matt Gerber-Korn and is recorded, edited and mixed at Sonic Playground in South Melbourne by Ben Churchill and Matt. Music score by Robert Upwood. Find him at robertupwood.com.au. Cover art by Romy Sachs. Keep up to date with The Artiste by following us on Instagram and Facebook, The Artiste Podcast. The Artiste is a co-production between Peppermint Media and Sonic Playground. (laughs) 